Welcome to the Wild Truth Chase podcast. My name's Nicholas Schaefer. I'm here with my co-host, Neeraj Shah. Neeraj, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Nick. How about you? We're getting ready to discuss some scams, so I'm excited. So something interesting, actually. If I remember a couple of weeks ago, we had the audience pretty split on whether they'd been scammed or not. I think it was a 50-50 split. But no one was willing to share their stories of being scammed on last week's episode. So I feel there's a bit of maybe embarrassment there. We poured out our old experiences. <laughs> but today it is scams. ChatGPT has been a, a topic of conversation in the last few episodes. It's always permeating underneath a little bit. Yeah, Elon that Elon Musk and ChatGPT somehow <laughs> can't escape these topics. Exactly. And we were just wondering the different types of scams that ChatGPT might enable. And in my head, I was thinking about uh, the, the types of scams that, in, it, that need conversation, right? So I was looking around to see whether ChatGPT is already starting to be used by scammers. And there was some information about ChatGPT being used to write malware and make platforms for scamming purposes. But then I did come across this other thing about chat GPT being used on fake dating profiles, which made, which made me laugh, but it is, I guess it is something it could be used for. Scammers are apparently some of the most innovative people. And so any new tool, they're going to try to leverage it. I think chat GPT will obviously open new doors for, and ways of scamming, but I think basically every technological advance has over the last, over the last, well, I don't know, forever really. Um, I was trying to find some information about different types of scams and the technologies they may have used. I know you were thinking beforehand about what types of scams might have been used in the Stone Age. You imagine somebody yeah, that's didn't come right. up with, with any evidence, right? When we decided to do this episode on technology and scams, one way to approach the research is to look specifically for examples that people have already identified of technology enabling scams. Another approach is just to look at the general history of technology and then See if you can think of ways that scams might have been enabled or facilitated by the use of technology. And so I went to Britannica.com and started looking at the history of technology. And it starts around the time when people are making stone tools. Mm. And so I was just thinking, what scam could a stone tool enable? And I think that's more just in the category of enabling crime by threatening <laughs> someone with your with your stone tool. And I'm not sure it really gets to the point of facilitating scams, but uh, mm. but it was interesting to consider. The internet is so, I think that's a, a pretty, well, in the history of scams, that's a pretty recent technological innovation. I think that's, and probably from everybody's experience, actually just really helped scale up the number of scams people see, all, all sorts. So I found this article by TransUnion, I think they're credit people, or credit record people, um, who are detailing the different types of scams using the internet and technology since 2004. So things like virus, worms, and Trojans. Do you remember those days of having to worry about getting viruses and, and worms and Trojans that might be stealing stuff? I remember the days when people had to worry about me perpetrating that on them. So I remember very distinctly, um, I downloaded this particular Trojan, which 
it allowed you to customize what happened to the people who installed mm-hmm. it. And so I told my friend that I had created, because I, I think at that time I was just learning how to do computer programming. So it was somewhat plausible, this story. I told him I had programmed this game and wanted him to try it out. Scammer. And then he installed it and, it, and it, it said something. It brought up a message that I customized. It said something, oh, you don't have the drivers or something. Something that yeah. sounded vaguely plausible. And then at that point, the Trojan is installed on their computer and you have this nice little menu of things that you can do to their computer. And some of my favorites were you could turn their screen upside down, the way the monitor is being displayed upside down or mirror it left or right. And then you could also, and this was probably my favorite, open and close their CD tray. Oh, and yeah. so just randomly <laughs> the, the CD tray would open and close, which used to be a thing on computers. And so I had a lot of fun with that. Oh, I didn't know you had a history in scamming people. <laughs> Not for any gotten gains, though. That was pretty harmless. This places Trojans back in 2004. And so I think that what I'm thinking of is probably earlier than that, but I certainly remember those days. And then other types of scams enabled by the internet, identity theft and phishing, which TransUnion has put around 2007. Phishing, I really reckon, scaled up. I wonder what the previous medium for phishing attacks was. Probably mail, right? So you went from using mail to to using email and internet. So that probably helped you get to people much faster with phishing scams. Have you ever worked somewhere where the IT departments actually sent phishing emails around? It would test people almost to see, are you you aware of phishing emails? No. So Like phishing entrapment. No, I've never heard of that. So I have worked in a place with that before. And I remember I was waiting for a work-related parcel. And just, it happened that on the same day, I got a email that said, I've got a parcel waiting for you at work. And I didn't even check. I didn't check anything because it felt like I do. I was expecting one today. So I clicked on the link in there. And then it was the IT department. And they were like, yeah, this is a phishing email. Watch out for phishing emails. <laughs> they got you. <laughs> they got me. They got me good. But it, I don't know. It was just the because that's almost a statistics game, right? You, you send these things around and then some proportion just happened to be waiting for a parcel that day. They see the message and then then they click on it. I wouldn't have clicked on it if I wasn't expecting anything. I think I acted without thinking for a second. It worked in that you still remember it today. Yeah, Probably if you true. get another email that you'll recall. I will recall it. And then in, in around 2010, DNS attacks, botnets, SQL attacks, competitive sabotage. Now that's something I've never heard before. Have you, have you ever come across any competitive sabotage, Nick? Competitive sabotage. I mean, presumably that would be one company sabotaging a competitor. Okay. So I, my, I believe it's true that, that my mother had all of her notes stolen during medical school, uh, which presumably was some Mm. jealous student who was upset about getting beaten out to the top of the class by my mother. So that, that's a form of petty competitive sabotage. That's right. For anyone who's not aware, Nick's mom was on the podcast in the season about aging. She actually helped us close that season with a great episode summing up the, the season, right? That's right. So the joke's on the person who stole her yeah. notes because she she went on to have a very good career in, in medicine. <laughs> and appear on the Wild Truth Chase podcast. Which is, how can you top it? (laughs) Exactly. In 2013, we got got a lot more social engineering, malicious email, 
and things like social engineering, I guess there's, it's the, I remember at work once I watched this great video about how people can be attacked on social platforms. It was actually quite disturbing. Essentially it was don't trust anyone who contacts you on social platforms because they may not be who they appear to be. And it said one of the most common types of attacks is to invite people over for conferences in places and you pay for their expenses and things, but essentially you're just trying to get them somewhere so you can put pressure on them in certain ways to do things for you. I thought that was quite a fascinating, quite a fascinating video. Yeah. Social media has got to be a huge facilitator for people looking to perpetrate all kinds of scams and hoaxes and, and purvey misinformation. I'll come back to social media because I find some of that quite interesting. What TransUnion is saying more recently is we get things like banking malware, keyloggers. Well, the keyloggers have been around for ages. My mom put a keylogger for some reason on my computer, which I then used somehow to get the password of a friend of mine. <laughs> when my mom was a bit younger, she wasn't as petrified of these things. She would experiment with stuff. I think cr crypto is a, is a whole separate area we could probably discuss in terms of crypto and scams and maybe one for the future. So we've just spoken a little bit about the, the types of scams you get now driven by technology. I think that these really give you a different scale for a lot of these scams. So things, like identity thefts and, and social engineering, I think these allow like you just to be in contact with so many more people, but it's not like they're new types of scams. Like Trojans, there probably weren't too many equivalents. Although I guess it would be similar to having a mole snooping on other people, uh, having a conversation. <laughs> I, I, can you think of any older equivalent of a, a virus or a worm or a Trojan? And I guess a Trojan is named after the old Trojan horse. Exactly. So that does have a historical precedent. That's right. That's true. Identity theft, I think, is something that has been around for ages. And I was reading a bit about identity fraud. And a famous case I came across was Perkin Warbeck in the 15th century, who pretended to be Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, the, the second son of Edward IV and one of the so-called princes in the tower. So he was pretending to be a rightful claimant to the throne. I have yeah. to applaud this guy. This is very clever. Exactly. So I guess... so. Presumably the two princes, I think they died in the, in the tower and he's taken advantage of that to claim that he's one of the princes, which is, which is pretty smart, um, but also pretty daring. I'm not sure I would have the, the chutzpah to, to do something like that. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds good, but also you think about trying to do something like that today, it just sounds very implausible that you'd get away with it. And I guess in the end he didn't. He didn't in the end, that's true. It must've been so much harder to verify identity back then. And I, I think, I suspect it might get hard again now with all these deep fakes and things like that, that are coming around. I wonder if that's just gonna open a whole new world of scams out there, especially around identity. Do you think that I'll just be able to claim to be some famous musician or something? Well, I think you'll be able to maybe go to a computer and just record a video as someone, right? You could put out a fake a video, but claiming to be made by someone else, but actually made by you. I did once pretend to be a made up person for the purposes of getting a free branded t-shirt and drinking bottle. But that, I mean, that doesn't feel so bad because you're not actually impersonating anyone. 
you're just sort of being someone <laughs> being someone who's who's completely completely new but i think that that whole idea of impersonating people made up people is is something that has been going on for ages so there's a great npr article about scams in the 1800s one of the scams man of the cloth so one day in may of 1888 dc mccarthy pretending to be a priest at the catholic church ingratiated himself with the local with a local head priest and then he went to a jewelry store he said he was looking for a gift for a cardinal he picked out some choice diamonds to be brought over to the head priest's residence and when the jeweler arrived mccarthy met him at the door dressed as a priest he took the diamonds into another room because he said he was going to show them to other holy men and they slipped out the back never to be seen again so i don't even know if father mccarthy was a real person or not um I'm learning something here. So let me see if I understand correctly. So he traveled to another city. He says he's a part of the Catholic church and maybe even he's like a, a real potentially known person in the Catholic church, but it's from a place that's far away. So presumably you don't know what that person looks like. And so there's familiarity that's gained because, oh, we're part of the same organization. And then uh, pre presumably unbeknownst to the local person at the Catholic church, he goes to the jeweler and says that us people of the Catholic Church are looking to <laughs> buy some jewels for a cardinal, right? Some diamonds. And so he's lied to the local Catholic priest and gotten him to let him into his house, which that gives him credibility in the eyes of the jeweler. Absolutely. And yeah. so the jeweler decides to bring the diamonds over to that person's house and they see that he's in fact in the house and he's dressed like a priest. And so everything seems to be on the up and up, except presumably the guy whose house it is doesn't know that the jeweler is coming there and doesn't know what this guy's plotting. And then he takes the jewels, disappears into the guy's house. Um, it does seem on one hand, you might blame the jeweler for being credulous, but it does seem hard to pick out. You probably would not expect this. And so the guy takes the jewels into the room and then presumably doesn't even go to talk to the guy whose house he's in. He just sneaks out somehow and, and gets away with the diamonds. So that's exactly right. Last week we were having this conversation and in my head, I was thinking of these scams as a lot of theater. And, and I imagine that this is what I was thinking about. So if you look at identity fraud nowadays, it sounds, it sounds pretty clinical. It's a big business, essentially. It's an industry. But if you look at this identity fraud, it was, it was pageantry. It was a little, you know, those films that are built around heists and a bit of excitement is that. And it, it, this, this took, this took guts, right. To do, to do this. I don't know. I, I have a certain amount of respect for the, the person who pulled this off. This article by NPR, this style of scam was, it was the second example of one where someone trusts you to take something. They come to your house with some goods and then they give them to you and they trust you to take them into another room. So there was another one called the disappearing act, two women often assisted by a man. And it was essentially the same scam. They arrive in a new town. They go to lavish shopping sprees, how it's described, and select a quantity of good goods and things that tend to be light that you can carry away quickly. And again, you ask them for them to be delivered. You take them into another room to try them on, make sure they're okay. And then suddenly you, you disappear. Um, so this seems to have been a popular style of scam back in the day. I mean, there is a simple remedy to these things, which is don't hand things over to people until they've paid for them, right? That would have mm -hmm. been the remedy to both of these. But I think yeah. 
what makes it possible in this case is you're introducing some kind of story around the scam that makes the person not apply the same standards that they would to just anybody who's going to buy something from them, right? There's a little bit more trust involved and that allows you just a window opens up there to slip away without having paid for anything. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, these are quite low tech, I, especially this last one. On, last week, something that you mentioned was what can a, a mark, let's call them a mark. So they're, they're the, often the, the marks of the scam. What responsibility do they take in in terms of getting scammed? And I and I love the 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 first line of this description from the NPR article, or I think it's from the actually the original story, which is, Swindlers have struck a new scheme for beating the unhappy Granger who is inclined to make money more rapidly than by the paths of strict rectitude, which I think is a great line about someone who's trying to try to find a, a quick way to make a buck. And this is all around someone approaching a farmer to buy a horse. And the next day, you, you've, you've missed a very important detail at the beginning of the story, which is that it's not just anybody who's approaching the farmer. It's a dapperly dressed man <laughs> approaching, approaching the farmer. I think that's important, right? Because if it was just some, some old guy, then uh, you might immediately become suspicious or at least in what follows. Mm -hmm. But this, it's important to note that this uh, first person is dapperly dressed. Exactly. And I think, again, I think these are quotes from the original articles about scams happening. So I think it was in it was written by the Parsons Daily Sun in Kansas in July of 1889, and uh, so it's a dapperly dressed man, and uh, he he approaches a farmer to buy a horse, offers him some amount of money, pays half of it, and promises to return in a week to pay the rest and collect the horse. And then the next day, another well dressed man he appears at the same farm and coincidentally wants the exact same horse, and he must own it, and he offers more money, and. So when the first dapperly dressed man comes back, the farmer says to him, oh, I can't sell you this horse, but I'll give you $10 for your troubles, expecting that the, the second man will return and pay him a lot more, but the second man never returns. So the first, the first man walks away with more money. It's probably hard to follow this if you're just listening to it, but the idea is that the, the farmer is hanging on to this horse in anticipation of the first guy coming back and paying him a lot more money. The scam ultimately is done just by that first man never, never returning. And so the farmer must thought have thought that he was just in great luck having this wonderful horse that's people are competing to purchase. And there that probably makes him a little more generous than he would be otherwise. And it's actually that money that's paid to the second man that ends up being split between the two scammers in the end. So it's, again, I guess what, what responsibility is on the farmer there, but that, okay. So those were some examples of, I would say low tech scams, but I did find an example of a, a high tech scam from the 1800s. And this was Francois and Joseph Blanc in the 1830s. And they were operating in France. They were operating at the Bordeaux stock exchange. And they had this thing. So essentially, the Bordeaux Stock Exchange was very closely related with Paris. And if they could get information from Paris quicker than the normal means, then I think they were at an advantage. And France at the time had these the optical telegraph made up of a, a series of huge towers with wooden signaling arms. So essentially what these 
What Francois and Joseph Blanc did, who were based in Bordeaux, was they bribed the signalers of this optical telegraph to send information quicker from Paris to Bordeaux so that they could make use of an information advantage to scam local people, which is pretty high tech, actually, I think, for the time. Yeah, I would say this is, well, I mean, it, it says here in the description that in the end, they were not they were not prosecuted, or at least not in, put in jail, because this technically wasn't a crime. And I can see that, right? Because other than the bribing, they're basically just getting information faster than other people and using that information mm. to make trades on the, the stock exchange, which before we came on, you were pointing out the similarities that this shows with existing approaches to trying to make trades on the stock exchange. I mean, it's not a, at all a secret that people try to get information, more and better information faster to make trades on the stock exchange to make money. And this is just a very early example of that. Had they owned the technology themselves, they probably would have been heralded as pioneers. But yeah. it's, I guess it's the fact that they had to bribe the optical telegrapher to purvey the information. I, th that's what made it a scam. But otherwise, these are just enterprising young men who are pioneering ways to approach the stock. Now, actually, I don't, I don't know exactly whether they were using that information to scam the people of Bordeaux, but it was just an information advantage that they could information advantage that they use to, to make better decisions, I guess. So that's kind of an example of technology. And I think one of the other big technologies for, for scammers has been newspapers. I remember we did, we did the season on news and we had, we did actually look through the news archives. I think in the news archives, there were a couple of classified ads that appeared to be snake oil. And I think that again, this must've been a big revenue earner for scammers because it just massively increased their reach before they maybe were just operating around their local area. Maybe they'd go and stand in the town square and, and talk about what they had to sell. But now they're selling to whole cities, whole states, and then the whole country. So there was some good, there's a, I found an article with some good examples of scams appearing in, in newspapers or scam products. And one of the common things that people were trying to sell was cures for consumption and consumption did also come up previously, Nick, if you if you remember. What season was that that we were talking about consumption? That was in the season on news. That was actually in the archives. Ah, yes, that was in the news archives. That's right. That's right. So consumption, for anyone who doesn't remember, is tuberculosis. And so there's quite a few examples of snake oil for tuberculosis cures. There was one for anti-fat, which actually comes with a before and after. And I'll link the article actually in the, in the description too. And then there's one for Florida water. It was a, Florida water was a cologne using orange scent, <laughs> but it was supposedly from the, the fountain of youth. I do love that. Just, just great stuff. Right? But then that made me think about the wellness stuff. I think that wellness is a big theme nowadays on social media. And I think that there are some similarities there. I think that we may eventually do an episode on what makes people susceptible to scams. And certainly it, it's very closely tied to things people care about most, which are also good things to explore if you're coming up with a legitimate business, but that makes it all the more dangerous in terms of being able to scam people as well. So I think promising health is a ripe area, both for legitimate business and illegitimate business. Exactly. I mean, health is, I think there's a, probably a whole a whole bunch you could do on on health related scams and I, I know beforehand you were just reading something an article on the Hinde, hindenburg about a health related startup or 
health related company that went a bit awry. Maybe that's a potential topic for a, an episode. I just recently discovered this website, but it's fascinating to me. There was a, some post on social media, speaking of scams, that I saw heralding this, this website's latest report. And I'd never heard of the website before, but because we were doing a season on scams, I clicked through to it and uh, it's called Hindenburg Research. And it was this big report about this multinational company that apparently is using various kinds of financial tricks to improve the appearance of their finances. And uh, what I went on to discover was that the author of the report is in some sense massively conflicted, but openly so. So the whole point of the Hindenburg Research website is that um, the people who run that website take large short positions in the companies that they're writing the reports on. And so that that's obviously a big conflict of interest in terms of reporting on them because your literal financial well-being hinges on the company failing. But on the other hand, presumably if he's wrong about the company being uh, fraudulent, then he's putting himself at massive risk. And so there's some reason to believe that he would have done his best to to research this. And that was the first article that I saw from that website, but there are many on there. And uh, I think that it would be interesting to go through some of those cases because it, it's somebody who's highly, highly motivated to find fraudulent companies and puts together big reports on on them in hopes that it will accelerate their downfall and therefore help to enrich himself. That's a fascinating setup for and setup for that scenario. And it makes for a very motivated researcher, I guess, in terms of the work they do. And a business that did go wrong, talking about businesses that went wrong, the 1920s, one of the biggest scams in history, which actually was not a technological scam, which was more around the business model scam, was Charles Ponzi. <laughs> now, these are always called pyramid schemes. I always feel a bit sad about this because I did live in Cairo for a while and the pyramids are nice, sturdy buildings. They've got thousands of years of history. They look very robust shapes, but Ponzi has ruined the reputation of pyramids. That's a very interesting take on that. I think the idea here is more that you can make a pyramid out of cards, right? The classic house of cards. Yeah. But the, have you ever seen, because we both work in data science, have you seen the, the pyramid of, of data maturity or, or on the way up to wisdom? You have data and then information, and then you have, I can't remember what the, the next one is. And and then that's, that's a pyramid. I remember I was sat in a presentation one time and all I was seeing on these slides was just, pyramids there's, there's so much pyramid shape in business today and i was like i don't know how this is continuing i would have thought that the so maybe charles ponzi didn't damage the shape of the pyramid too much but he did definitely damage quite a lot of people's financial situations do you much about charles ponzi nick i read a little bit about him in preparation for this episode and was surprised to find that here it says that his comeuppance came on August 12, 1920. So for whatever reason, in my mind, I had him much later in, in history than that. But as you say, he's the stereotypical example of a scam these days. Exactly. And I think it's basically taking, taking, on, taking money from new investors to pay back earlier investors who we owed money. So if you come in low on the, low on the pyramid, it's not a good place to be. Um, 
And then I think from there, I think we start getting technology up until telemarketing, I think was probably a big one that came in. Do you ever, do you still get any spam calls on by telephone? I mean, one of the aspects of technology that we haven't discussed much here in this episode is the technology's roles in combating scams, right? Mm. So now at this point, my phone has learned to, to recognize most scams even before I pick up the phone. And so that I might get a call from an unknown number and it says likely scam, right? Yeah. So I won't pick that up, obviously. But I think certainly general telemarketing was, was very big when I was young. I remember picking up the phone many times on our home line and it being some marketing scheme or another. And usually we didn't listen long enough in order to find out whether it was a scam or not. But my dad had a favorite thing to do, which was as soon as he recognized that it was telemarketing, he, he said, I know how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. And then he'd play three, two, one, two, three, three, three. <laughs> and, and then just keep playing until the person on the other end of the phone hung up. <laughs> that's, that's good. I mean, there's loads of, I guess there's loads of creative things you could do. I, I have spoken to a few people who've just called just to see why you call in, what's up, what's going on. Some, some are actually quite well humored. And there was a whole period as well where my parents would also get loads of loads of spam calls at, at their homes. I guess some, a proportion of which were just were also scams. But I don't think then it's a too far step from the telemarketing to the to the world of the internet and bringing us back around to things like viruses and worms and trojans and back up to where we are now, which is chat GPT and probably what will be AI probably leading a new wave of scams that's quite the history of, of scams that we did and scams and a bit of jumping around it's been it's been interesting to read about them actually the thing that always gets me about this is that it is the ingenuity i think and i think you you mentioned it early on was that the the scammers are not afraid of innovation <laughs> it's so weird to talk about scammers basically people who are trying to cheat other people in in sort of to talk about them in sort of complementary ways right but they're <laughs> They are they are innovative, I guess, and and in the past they were a bit more ingenious because maybe they didn't have the technology. But nowadays they definitely are quite annoying just because they're everywhere. Out of interest, did you did you check your spam folder this week? No, I told you I have the same spam folder so that I don't have to check it. <laughs> you weren't even curious as to how people were trying to cheat you. No, I'm going to check my spam folder. Oh dear, Suana, can you teach me some tricks? Hot babe Suana looking for you who knows how to get. It's probably better that I can't read the rest of that. Oh dear, this <laughs> grim, grim stuff this week. So that was a, a quick run through between a shared history of, of tech and scams. Anything to add to that, Nick? Just feeling very wary. I'm going to be on the lookout this week. Exactly. For anyone who comes dressed as a priest to your door. Definitely. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thanks for humoring me on this one. I've enjoyed it. I do see the ingenuity and I, I have enjoyed reading about this. And I hope to see yeah. everybody next week. Be careful out there, everybody. <laughs>